welcome to Zephyr Podcast Sessions with your host, me, Scott Howland. To find out more about Zephyr and how we're helping leading brands and businesses with customer journey orchestration, visit www.zephr.com. Hey and welcome to the Zephyr Sessions this week. Uh, I'm joined today by Richard Holden of The Economist. Hey Richard, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good, great to have you on the show. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's our third version now, so yeah, we're, we're getting to the third episode, which is really cool. Um, but without further ado, could you just do a quick intro to you, your role, the company you work for? Sure. Well, I'm a, so my name is Richard Holden. I'm a product manager at The Economist. I've been a product manager for about five years uh, there. And I've spent my time really working on some of the reader-facing products that we do, whether it's apps or the websites or some of the things where we interact directly with our readers. Nice. So if I asked you what your day-to-day job looked like, what would that look like for you? I'm, ass- I'm assuming that's a bit different at the moment uh, in, in this lockdown to what it normally is? or Not really. <laughs> like less, so, less so than I suspect a lot of people. I mean, I mean, the boring, I think the sort of boring answer of product management is that I think a lot of the day is like some massive percentage of Slack messages and emails and video calls and uh, <laughs> and not and not much else. I think that's a lot of what product management is at The Economist. It's, um, it, it's connecting people, whether it's engineers with different parts of the business or different parts of the business who don't even know they should be talking to each other or different engineering teams. So yeah, it's uh, the role of The Economist is a lot about the connectivity between different teams and trying to get, you know, obviously we have... All these, all these, all these business relationships, these organizational relationships, all come to bear on the fight on the product that we release in the end. So it's my job to try and like sort out all those conversations as needed, so that when we do get something out, it it makes sense for our readers, but for the business as well, you know, and, and remains a kind of coherent product at the end of that. And obviously, you mentioned some of the the key products being used in the in the marketplace at the moment to keep these distributed teams together. You're pretty distributed as office goes, anyway, right? You, you've got a couple of different offices. Yeah, that's right. Um, we've um, yeah, we've got two offices in London already, so we're working across like um, the editorial, essentially the editorial office and the commercial office in London, and also most of our engineering function now lives in Birmingham, so we're already quite distributed anyway. So apart from having to be in my house instead of the office. Um, yeah, it's a, not that much change, actually, in some ways. And that's good. And obviously, it just shows how um, I think we spoke before and you were doing a test day of how, how you could all operate at home and things like that. And uh, just shows how easy that can become in a way. And hopefully how these come, maybe it's going to be a good thing for this industry, right? It's, uh, it's a good thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's different for different teams in The Economist. For, for, the, for the product teams, it's, I think, not been that different in terms of ways of working. Uh, I think for the ed- for editorial, it's been a big change. Um, we published we published a print edition remotely for the first time ever a few weeks ago, um, and wow. been doing that um, for the last few weeks. So that's a you know that's a big achievement and a big change. Um, so yeah, it it really does depend on the team. For us in product, it's, we're kind of used to these tools anyway. But yeah, it's something a bit different for that for print for the print editors. I know, obviously, you've been at The Economist for quite a while now, right? Since, uh, I believe, something like 2014. Um, and obviously, we've had some conversations previously. You That's talked right. About, uh, one of your key kind of things that you've done recently is, well, maybe not too recently, but obviously, you can explain that now, is um, 
you got the go-ahead and secured kind of moving theeconomist.com to an entirely new code base. Um, that intrigued me when we were talking about that because I, I wanted to explore more into it. Um, could you explain a bit more about the background and why you did that and why you wanted to do that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, in, in one sense, it's a story of a little bit of product failure, if we're honest, because um, we did, we did, I think around four years ago now, release, start releasing a, re, a totally revamped version of economist.com. This is before I worked on the website, uh, just, you know, passing that blame there. But um, <laughs> <laughs> this, is where I, this is where I worked on the website, we released an entirely new revamped version of economist.com. And, you know, the intention was better performance, better user experience, all the, all the things you want to do when you revamp the site. But for various reasons, I, I it didn't really go down, down that path. We ended up in a place where I think well, both two two things were wrong with the site, and we, we where they got to a stage where we they were, we didn't really think they were fixable. So the user experience, I think, user experience showed you know it showed our org chart in that classic way that that can happen when it, you don't have a sort of strong product function where um, you could literally see different parts of the organization competing for space on the site. Right, you had like here's where we try and ask for subscriptions that overlay the ads who are also fighting for their space and. Um, and sadly, the loser was the actual content that we were hoping people would read. Um, so that that wasn't great. But um, and also underlying that, I think the same sort of patterns came to bear on the code base itself. And I'm not an engineer, so I don't know what it's like. But um, I think as as the engineers, uh, to the engineers, it was it was becoming impossible to work in that in that code base. Things things were done in a short term way, and they built on top of each other and built on top of each other until the whole thing was kind of. A structure that no one could work with in a stable and um, yeah, um, fast manner. Making even small changes was really difficult. So we had, yeah, we made the difficult decision to um, basically bin that and start again, which is, you know, in one in some ways, as a as a product manager, is an interesting challenge. You get to start afresh, but it's obviously um, a big undertaking and not something you want to do lightly. Absolutely, and that's uh, it's. I got kind of something on the scale of the economist.com that's uh, obviously a huge huge challenge and how did that process go for you what were the kind of key challenges you had to face and kind of manage during that period is there anything you can share with us yeah sure i mean for on one hand it's still not complete right we've we've some of some of our main the main pages on the site are, have been moved over to our new design and the new code base um the home page and article pages other pages will be following soon. And obviously we were hope to do the lot um, in the coming months. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that's one challenge. It's a big job. <laughs> it's a big job. And remove, trying to remove legacy all over the place is a challenge. Uh, the main challenge really was trying to find that balance of um, moving the project forward, replacing what, what we already had and making the experience better as we go. But also, you know, you can't go to, you can't say to a business, like to, to a news organization, um, look, you're not really going to get anything for a year. Like, we're not going to be able to do anything for you for a year while we just swap everything out. That's not really feasible. And so you, the, the the challenge becomes trying to do that that swap, that legacy swap out to give you that platform for future changes, but still trying to support uh, the, you know, the, the needs of the businesses and, and the editorial um, organizations as you go along, which can be tricky because you don't want to waste work but nor can you just say no to everything. So that, that's really the chat. And nor do you want to say yes to an extent where you forget you take your eye off the ball and you forget the what you're trying to get done in the first place and it never actually 
you never actually finish it. No, absolutely. And are you seeing the benefits, obviously, from making that change? Are you still swapping stuff as you go? Totally understand that. Are you seeing benefits for that across the team? Is it making life a little bit easier for you? Yeah, absolutely. We're getting, you know, it's, it's not done when we're getting there. We are definitely getting there. The speed with which we can make changes has improved. We we can work with this new code base. When So when things do come up in the short term, when we're asked to, you know, add things to the site for COVID-19, which is a totally reasonable thing for a news organization to want to do, that we can do that in reasonable amount of time, um, more than we could, we could in the past. And, you know, it's something we, we still need to work on. We, the site performance is getting better all the time. The stability is getting better. It's it's never where, you know, it can always be better, um, but it's definitely improving. So it, it, we're already seeing benefits. And I think as well with the, with the design, um, we are seeing, you know, we are definitely seeing um, improved feedback from readers around uh, around around the new design, which I hope as we go along will translate into you know more readers and more subscribers sticking around because they're getting a good experience. But it's early days for that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, um, you mentioned the uh, the COVID nineteen word. There's uh, it's, <laughs> we're hearing that everywhere at the moment. We're seeing uh, organisations, for example, um, Financial Times, seeing their uh, their uh, data chart uh, is something like it's the most viewed Financial Times article ever. Um, you've got New York Times and Wall Street Journal having the same kind of um, momentum there. I think the Wall Street Journal's, um, uh, wasn't it, the uh, the social distancing post or something had exactly the same, the most ever seen viewers uh, of that, uh, page views of that article. Um, you, did you see any spikes or anything at that that you can share at The uh, the Economist during that uh, kind of maybe in subscriptions and views? Yeah, I can't be, I can't really go into specifics, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a common pattern. It's a common pattern and we're seeing it too. I think that, you know, we're in a particular, The Economist, um, I suppose in a particular unique place for this sort of story and that we are already a global newspaper and this is a really global story so that there is that and people I think are looking for what we offer which is like is you know analysis about what's going on um a bit less about a bit less in the breaking news of breaking news and the quick reactions to things but analysis of what's really happening I, I suspect this is the sort of story where actually we're we, you know our core the core of what the economist does is really useful to people and i think we're seeing that no absolutely and uh, no thank you for sharing that it's much appreciated so let's take it back a maybe a few years to maybe when you first joined the economist you were very um uh, engaged with the uh, the app development i believe and the mobile app side of things so uh, you introduced new lean approaches there and i believe uh reading and, and talking to you that this was about driving subscribers through the app uh, and and that kind of process are you are you kind of mapping those same learnings from doing the app development into this new code base uh, production um, production and uh, deployment is is that something you're looking at doing now yeah so i i think that the overall thing we tried to do with the app was well before before we released the new app the app we had was um, very much like a print replica right it was we take we'll take the print edition of the economist and put it on an ipad uh, that's and that's fine it works for a lot of people it's it, you know if you're familiar with that that's really useful but we felt i felt there was an opportunity there for people who are more more used to mobile and the the, the conventions of mobile rather than the convention of print that there was something we could do that um that, that retain the core of what the economist is all about but did, but not by literally copying that over and that was that was the intention of the new app and we did that you know use 
use customer interviews, which is not something we've done a massive amount of at The Economist, so customer feedback to like really drill into that problem and try and solve that problem. Um, the main goal with that really was to help new subscribers um, who, for whom like haven't really established their habit with The Economist yet, help them develop that Economist habit without and reduce the amount that people felt basically guilty about not reading The Economist. The, you know, the classic image, the classic images of a big pile of economists in the shrink map on the coffee table, um, which just makes people feel bad rather than being useful. And it's like, okay, how can we help with that and help you feel like you've got something out of your subscription? Um, and that was the intention behind the app. Um, the web, you know, there are there are there are things we need. Yeah, there are there are le- there are lessons from that that we want to take over to the web. But the web the website has, I think, a little bit of a different job as well. And we need to bear that in mind. You know, the nature of the web is that it's 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 the first point of call uh, that for a lot of people to see the economist or economist content at all uh, less than whereas the app is a little bit more because there's more friction in downloading an app it requires someone who knows already knows you you can assume a bit more so it, it's a little bit different with the web you have to be aware that it's new people and you're trying to introduce them to the economist for the first time and um and, and show why we're different and why we're not the same as standard news organizations and, and so, yeah, I think in terms of approach and like trying to think of those user needs and those user jobs, it's the same, but the, the specifics are different because the web is a different a different platform. Totally get that. And obviously there's a, there's a big difference. I, uh, there's similarities, but there's still a big difference on the use cases that we're seeing across publishers as well and media companies from, from both mobile app or mobile web, mobile app and web. It's kind of three buckets there, isn't there? Um, with regards to the uh, the economist and and your your traffic so you you've just talked about the app and the, and the web is there is there a kind of even split across that can you share any details on that like high level is it is it pretty much uh, app based or web based or do you see just an even split it's definitely not an even split and i, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head but i i think i think you can be misled i think a lot of product teams get misled and a lot of um by looking at basically page views on a web versus page views on an app and i actually i'm a little bit resistant to that comparison because i don't think it's that meaningful um the web the web will be more by the nature of the web right you you put a link on social you um you can you your traffic will go up right and like the barrier to entry is so low that it will always be more like it doesn't tell you you know how you valuable that is to your business right like is it is it is it is that traffic going to turn into subscriptions or something like that um you just don't know um whereas on the the app like you 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 know you you hope for more you hope for um page views in itself i don't think is what what you you should be looking at i think you should be looking at the time spent something more around time spent because it captures that the idea that you want people to spend a, a good amount of time with the content, not just like click an article, like click, you know, that's nothing on an app. It's like you, you want people to be habitually spending time in the products and um, getting getting what they need, whether it's one big session every week, like where they sit down and read the whole thing or whether it's over a few days. But that's, that's so yeah, I try and resist that, <laughs> resist that comparison, to be honest. Absolutely. I, and I guess that's what everyone's trying to do, right? They're trying to become habitual at, or trying to get the users be- to become habitual because obviously that is going to drive them from being, and, and it's going back to the user states, right? Unknown to known. So that, that anonymous to registered. And then once it becomes habitual and registered and they're getting their three views a week or whatever that might be, then the, you can start moving them down the kind of funnel to a, to a subscriber to get access to the app, to the web, uh, and maybe on, even on print, right? 
right? So uh, it depends on that, yeah. that bundle, what's going on there. Um, look, I uh, appreciate that. And that's uh, it's really good um, insight there. So thank you very much for that. If you had one tip, um, one tip for um, anyone who was running a product team or being a, becoming a product manager now uh, in the in the tech world, what would it be and why? So my tip for most, I, my tip for most like people becoming product managers is, I think what you get, have to get used to as a product manager is uncertainty. You are not the expert at the business. You are not the expert at the technology. You are probably not the expert at basically any of it. And if you and if you go to any conversation, and it's it's really common for people to do because when they when they're new to it, I think because they want to feel like they're useful and like they're doing a good job, but if, and that they go into a room sort of want to look like they know more than they do. But actually, I I, I think the more you do the job, the more the the more you say I don't know or I don't understand or you haven't explained that well enough, the more the better you become and the more powerful you become. Um, actually, it's uh, I think more than in any other place, it's uh, more than in probably any other job. Like the ability to say you don't understand something I don't know is actually a power rather than a, a rather than a, a, a detriment being detrimental. No, I like that and thank you for that. That's a great tip and uh, yeah. So it's really good to to kind of get that insight and get that understanding from someone like yourself so thank you very much for that so uh richard thank you very much for being on the podcast today if uh if we were going out in in london uh after after you finished a hard day at work well when we're out of lockdown um and uh we we could go to uh go and grab a beverage what would it be uh what what would your recommendation be well I'd like to I'd like to pretend it's one of the really good pubs in like East London or like um you know what my favorite like the Jerusalem Tavern in um in Farringdon that's probably my, one of my favorite pubs but the real answer is it's probably going to be go for a, a pint of Camden Hells at the Theodore Bullfrog which is down the road from the Economist office and despite its flaws is the closest pub and so therefore wins <laughs> right so um, so it's a camden house camden house on me next time i'm near the economist office uh, great i'll take so, that <laughs> how about that um and uh yeah no look um i i've been asking everyone a music question um i, I might put you on the spot but um i know you're a musician yourself and i think you're a bassist right I am a bassist. Maybe I wouldn't call myself a musician, but yes, I, I have a bass. <laughs> four, it's four strings, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's <laughs> it's hard you hold a rhythm, right? Yeah, that's the shot. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what we do. Instead of shouting out a song, maybe, maybe you and I have a jam next time. So uh, I'll bring my guitar, and you bring your bass, and we'll, we'll go that way. Promises to be terrible. Thank you. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Zephyr sessions today. Thank you very much for being. Uh, a willing victim and uh hopefully we can uh we can catch up soon as soon as this uh this uh situation blows over so much appreciated thank you very much and uh in the meantime uh have a great day oh one last question if people want to get hold of you what's the best way to get hold of you is it just to connect with you on linkedin or something like that yeah linkedin if you want to be uh, lame or on twitter uh, uh richard h without any vowels richard h without any vowels Search for Richard Holden. Okay. That's probably the easiest <laughs> way. It's hard to read out. So there you go. So uh, search for Richard Holden on Twitter. But once again, Richard, great to speak to you. Thank you very much for being on the Zephyr Sessions. And uh, yeah, let's catch up soon. Stay safe. Thank you very much.